This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. We hope that your New Year's resolutions have not eroded just yet. We are here to talk about... What, what, what are we talking about this time, Roger? Superheroes and why well, they're terrible. No, no, not quite that. He has problems. Why well, I think they're terrible is the same thing. All right, and... Oh, let, let, let's kill Hitler. Yeah, why not? Everybody else does. What do you got a time machine for? We'll also be talking about appropriate gifts for the festive and other seasons. And of course, once you've killed Hitler, what you have is a utopia. So are those fun to game in? And if, if not, how can they be made? No, they're today? bad. They're bad. They're wrong. They're ugly, ugly, ugly bad and wrong things. Homeward. First, an unsolicited commercial message. We do this occasionally. The Bundle of Holding is offering Cthulhu Britannica uh, for the next three or four days after this podcast goes live, and it includes specifically the London Sourcebook. A wonderful city to go insane in London. Yeah, th- this is a great guide to London in the 1920s in general, even if you don't have tentacles. I mean, yes, all right, it does focus somewhat on witnesses and occult bookshops and things like that, but it, it's a pretty good, here is what you can get up to in London guide in general, and it's not, not just the 20s, you can use it with modification for the 30s as well. Gaslight would be stretching it a bit. Um, but it's currently about 40% normal price just for that, even if you didn't, even if you didn't get anything else in the bundle, and I reckon that's well worth it. If you're... There's also um, some of the stuff they do uh, not that I've read it, but uh, some of the some of the little vignettes and supplementary um, narratives from the point of view of people in the uh, in, in the uni- in universe, mostly about going insane and being involved in arcane things. I don't have to give that to the players, though it's always useful misdirection. Uh, the, the pack also includes uh, Cthulhu Britannica itself, which is a pack of five short one-shot adventures, vaguely focused on England. Um, they will come with pre-gen PCs, good for running running at a convention or something like that. Are they mostly written, written by English people? I think so. Some of them may be Scottish. Oh, all right, all right. We'll allow the Scots. If you get the bonus collection, you also get the Curse of Nineveh adventure set in, set in 1920s London, which is handy if you want to follow along with the Oxford.com's play of it. But right, I think the real prize here is the London source book for twenty dollars. Hmm. Okay. End of unsolicited commercial message. Roger, you have a problem um, with superheroes that you have mentioned from time to time. And I thought we might want to discuss it and how it affects, well, not just superheroes, but fantastical things generally. Mm, I think what what I tend not to like is is your traditional comic book superheroes, which, to be fair, I understand that even the comic books are trying to get away from these days. Well, the movies have desperate uh, problems trying to give a convincing reason why people are going around in strange uniforms. The dance they danced with uh, making Captain America believable was um, a little humiliating for Captain America. So certainly a big part of it is, is the primitiveness of the story. Um, you know, the, the people with power are the only people who are in any way important. Uh, you've got the lone hero who doesn't really have much to do with society. I mean, the, everybody reckons Superman is a good guy. But the cops don't help him out because he's not in the sort of situation where cops could make the slightest bit of difference. He helps out the cops. There is underlying the uh, the lone hero with great power uh, myth some very unpleasant things. Um, it's a it's a rejection of society. You the exaggerated figure here is the Punisher. Mm-hmm. who is uh, an insane, compulsive and murderous vigilante who nonetheless has his own series and he's people feel guy. sorry for. He, he, no, no, he, he's ambiguous. No, he's a bastard. He's complete and utter <laughs> nutter um, who, who's who gone, gone off the, the, the deep end 
if you admire the the, the hero of the of the Death Wish films, and why, um, then you can admire the Punisher. But um, I, I felt Agents of Shield TV series also missed missed some chances here. What what I was hoping they might do with it is explore what, what it's like to be a normal person. Possibly very skilled, possibly very smart, whatever. But in in a world where people can just casually break the laws of physics and render all your life's work completely pointless, but that was that was not a way they went. So well, no, because uh, super duper, they aren't. They do face terrible risks from the the crazy things that the mad scientists and the evil conspiracies get to do, but they are. Slightly strange and super themselves. Yeah, and that, that's where I think it, it misses the trick. But a, a lot of this is also, it, it doesn't need to go together, but it traditionally does. Um, just terrible inconsistency. Um, we, okay. we, you, we don't really define what somebody can do. You, you get all those fanish arguments about could hero X beat hero Y in a fight. Yeah, and they're the always beat the thing. Yes, and they're does. always inconclusive because you you can't just rate these things. You know, if, if if he's in his own book, then Hero X will win. I, uh, I think what your um, your core problem here is that you you've talked in the past about uh, we've talked about in the past about the one change thing in a uh, in, in in a, a fantastic setting or a futuristic setting. Mm-hmm. You bring in one new thing, one difference. And the default setting for superheroes is the, is throwing the kitchen sink. Yep. You you have at least once they started having crossovers and things, rather than one guy in his own book is basically the only hero around. Yeah, uh, and that 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 hasn't been the case since the nineteen forties. Uh, yeah, uh, Justice Society, I think, is the first real big crossover book. Um, I can't think of any any before that. But so. But you, you've got a universe of discourse where there are mutants and there are people, uh, there are aliens from, from other planets with peculiar powers, which they only have when they're not on their own planet. You have, um, you have people with super tech, you have people with magic. You have lab accidents. Yeah. Um, and, and all of those are thrown, thrown together. And you're a, uh, you're a person who likes to, um, do research, and you can't <laughs> research this sort of thing. This is true. I, I also like... Um, it, it feels weird that something should be recognisably a real world when it's got all this weird crap in it. Yeah, because... Well, this is what I think of as the West Wing problem. Mm. The West Wing kept on having these... bringing these wonderful ideas, things we could do... Uh, possible solutions to the uh, to the problems of America... And it couldn't get any of them into the main time stream or realise them because that would change the, the the setting, which is about America, a fairly recognisable uh, America. Yeah. And now, granted that they had the excuse of, uh, of there being in the real world a Republican uh, legislature who didn't really like anything that changed much, mm-hmm. um, except for the worse. But... It's the same problem with comic book series. Things have got to be... This has to be a recognisable world and we have to relate to it, which is why Wainscope Fantasy is so popular. Yeah, and to to be fair, uh, comic writers have realised this as well. Watchmen um, Mm. was a particularly good example of this, where, yeah, okay, because of superheroes, the US has won Vietnam, Nixon hasn't got caught, and so on. Nixon's still in power for reasons which they don't go into very much. But... Uh, yeah, but uh, but there, there is no profound difference when you get politics coming into uh, into superhero stories. You get some very odd results. Am I right in thinking that the film of the um, of the Marvel Civil War has changed the entire premise, got rid of the of the superheroes registration act as a thing that Captain America was rebelling against. That was the impression I got. I've not actually seen it myself. No, I'm, I'm, I, 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 have, I have several hours in my life I don't feel like sacrificing <laughs> just at the moment. Maybe when it gets on Netflix and I can take it at five-minute doses and be good for my blood pressure that way. But, to, to, to be fair, the, the, the inconsistency is, is all right in some sort of story. We, we've talked recently about Doctor Who, where I came down very much on the side of, no, it doesn't matter how thick a Dalek's armour is. A Dalek's armour is thick enough that when you shoot it, it, it doesn't die unless you have a super weapon. Yeah, but if you are the 
GM, are you good with that? Are you able to extrapolate? You see, the, 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 all right, this may be um, another old gamer versus uh, new gamer thing. How much can you extrapolate without the players whining um, about inconsistencies and why did you let us get away with that and not let, get, let us get away with yeah. this? To be fair, since I came to the realisation I've not actually run Doctor Who, I'm still thinking about doing it sometime, but mm. it will be a big change in the way I normally do stuff. One, one example of something that could easily have turned into superhero, but um, not really none of the players wanted it to, including me, mm. uh, was my Age of Aquarius game, which we've talked about yeah. before, 1960s Psy Powers. I mean, Psy powers are new in that setting. Most people don't know how to deal with them. Our heroes are part of a very small minority of people who have them. And that could have turned into superheroes. Uh, it, it's several, several of the preconditions for it. But instead it turned into... Uh... But they're, they're embedded in society. They're working for a government agency. Uh, I think some of it is that the power level stayed low enough that... Yeah. It was it was sensible for them to be on good terms with the police because there were occasions when they, it was really handy for them to be able to say to the police, give me several unimaginative coppers to surround this building and arrest anybody who comes out who isn't us. Even if he has really impressive identification, you can always let him go later. Yeah. That sort of thing. The uh, tell you what uh, strikes me about this is that everything you say about supers and it's and it's inconsistent should apply to magic yeah the, the magic systems i like tend to be the fiddly ones okay give a give a fiddly example gurps magic as opposed to mage right to take two extremes yeah even with gurps magic i have had long arguments but they, then they, they get to be technical arguments like what happens if you're wearing a, a reverse missile and you fire uh, um, an arrow at somebody who's wearing a reverse missile? <laughs> we eventually decided it, it bounced it bounced into the ground because otherwise we would build up to infinite energy and destroy the universe. <laughs> um, I have problems with superheroes in as much as they, uh, apart from heroes and um, champions, rather. And and the GURPS supers bit, and even with the modern GURPS supers bit, it it gets into non-simulationist territory almost instantaneously. Yeah, I think if you want to tell the superhero story as you get as you get in the in these traditional comics, you need to do that hmm. because it's not going to work in a simulationist system any more than Doctor Who does. But on the and on the other hand, Batman is perfectly simulatable given what he is, and he's still a superhero, and he's still... There's a moment in one of the Justice League comics in which the Justice League is taking down um, what turn out to be the returned white Martians, who are just as powerful as John Johns and uh, infinitely insane. Um, and Batman takes down three of them with a lighter. But... So there has to be a sort of bridging the gap thing and I, I'm still I don't know I've yet to find a super system that I actually like I played icons but it feels super light and super posy and super giving the players exactly what they want I yeah, think that's I, another challenge for me with with supers is putting some grit into the into the player players wish fulfillment machine I, Sorry, I'm picturing the wish fulfillment oyster now. So. Uh, we only get oysters when there's grit. That, that could be a that could be a GM's motto. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting from the other end. I haven't found a superhero setting that I find sufficiently compelling that I want to run it. Uh, whether that's an, an existing one or one that's come out of my head. Yeah, because you basically don't get the run around in tights thing. I guess that's a big part of it, certainly. Have you ever followed a superhero season, series, anything? Um, as it was coming out, no. Uh, I read Watchmen a few years after it had come out. Hmm. But, uh, I, I yeah. read the occasional limited series of that sort. Yeah. Oh, well. Maybe there's a solution to this, and maybe there isn't. But I, well, I, I don't have players saying, why don't you run superheroes? So, so I feel I don't have an immediate uh, problem. What I've got is me saying, why don't you run superheroes? And then I come up with this long list of problems, and and I eventually don't. My players will probably put up with me um, trying to make them play superheroes, 
Yeah, that's what I should do on Wednesday. Yeah, come on. Radiation accident. Yeah. Hmm, why not? <clears throat> anyway, passing on to the next thing. This is number two, I think, in um, an occasional series in which we contemplate uh, altering history for um, fun, profit and occasionally comic effect. Uh, we did this once very early in this one of programmes. We appealed to you, you lazy lot, for ideas. So we're coming back to um, to it again with, an, with some ideas of our own. And I decided we might as well start with the big one that everybody tries. All right, you're on the roof um, above Munich with a sniper rifle in the 1920s. And a chap with a moustache is coming down the street attempting to lead a putsch. This is the optimal moment for killing Hitler. In my opinion, he's, he's nobody yet, um, and uh, there are plenty of bullets flying. Nobody's going to notice an extra one uh, aimed specially at him. Uh, he he was a messenger in the, in the First World War. He could easily have taken a stray bit of shrapnel then. Yeah, I, I, I think being on top of that rooftop in Munich is safer. Hmm. Um, let's be perfectly frank. I, I, if, if I'm, if Time Incorporated or whoever are sending me back, I'm saying, saying no, non-military environments only. Right. <laughs> so, all right, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a coup d'état. That's semi-military. So we put a bullet through his head. Now what? Have we improved things measurably? Well, you, you will not get leading Germany a megalomaniac. Well, not no, that megalomaniac. Not, not that megalomaniac, yeah. You may get a different one. Um, certainly, if one looks at the snake pit of senior Nazi politics, there were plenty of people who felt they could do that job. And here is, here is where it gets interesting. Some of them were less mad, distinctly less mad than Hitler. Okay. Would there, did any of them have... His, uh, all right, people do not understand his oratorical gifts, British people especially, because he looks ridiculous. And we don't understand German, but um, were any of them ca capable of creating that sort of cult of personality? And was the cult of personality important? To the historical version, certainly. Um, hmm. Goering would probably try. I don't think he'd do very well. well if he, his weight problem comes in when? Oh, practically always. Um, All right, well, no. I'm sorry, speaking as a fat man, I'm afraid um, Churchill was the last fat man to be really charismatic. Um, Speer could well do it. Good organiser. Hmm. Not not a um, whipper-up of crowds, but you can always get other people to do the crowd whipping up for you. I know. Uh, was Speer, when was Speer, how early was Speer involved? I thought he was later. Yeah, he comes in relatively late. The thing is, there is going to be something that, that um, deposes the government because there are so many hacked-off people in Germany who have been told that your leaders stabbed you in the back at the last war. Yeah, but the moment... Of... And so, some, some, some of them are proto-fascists and some of them are communists. All right, so we've got... You've got... But you've got... What is the actual threat moment when Hitler gets 33% of the vote and enough of the Reichstag to was the Reichstag to um, uh, to be able to form a government. What what I think I'm getting at is I'm not sure that's pivotal in uh, yes in, in in terms of this this is the moment when it couldn't easily be fixed anymore. Hmm. Yes, but if it hadn't happened, or if he hadn't been there, if somebody else had been doing it, I'm not convinced it would have gone all that differently. It would have taken a different shape. Yeah. But I'm not sure you, you can head off some sort of war of aggression in Germany at that point because you know, they don't have the money to eat. Does it have to be a right-wing war of aggression? Are the communists actually in, in any chance of, of coming through? Having observed left-wing parties all my life, my impression is that they fragment even easier than the right-wing does. Yes, but if they do the coup first, as they did in Russia... yeah. Everybody thought, uh, well, lots of people with boots and uh, and a willingness to go out and beat people up, thought that the communists were this rising great threat. Could they have pulled it off? 
Yeah, certainly you, you read literature of the 20s and 30s, and it is generally assumed that um, the communists, the anarchists, are going to be the problem. There's a very embarrassing Dennis Wheatley along these lines. Mm. Uh, and, Excuse and, me, all very... Dennis Wheatley tends to be embarrassing. And uh, all, all these people who are offering a, a sense of order and belonging and so on are definitely the good guys. That, that Mussolini, he's got the right idea. Trains run on time, except when they didn't. Yeah, uh, all right. So... so well, okay, clearly it didn't happen historically, but I, I, I don't think it was impossible that it could have if if Russia had got its act slightly more together uh, and, and done some actual funding of um, communist uprisings in other countries. Hmm. All right, if you get a communist uh, victory, does it turn aggressive? Does it move outwards? Can well, it, 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 it can't move east. No, well, there's, there's, there are, there are the inconvenient poles between them and. and well, all right, they can take Poland, but they can't go any further. And po- Poland per se is not really worth taking. Um, the, the Germans took it because it was hey, a gateway me, to Russia. Our fans in Poland, we would like to apologise to that last sentence. Go on. <laughs> in, in a strategic sense. All right, you, go on. You, you get a lot more in terms of industry and and um, things you can sell and farmland and so on by going into France. This is true. Um, Germany rearming did not start with Hitler. True. You go into... All right, so... I I, I would really like to believe that that the communist revolution would be semi-peaceful. I cannot believe, given the way Stalin fucked things up, that that they could organise any sort of major war effort. Especially when, you know, purging, uh, whilst purging I, I people. I would point out that in spite of the purges, Stalin managed to organise a war effort. In spite of the fact that his idea of a good general was one of his old street fighting buddies, that turned back the Wehrmacht. Uh, eventually, yes. <laughs> after after losing a third of the country. Um, yeah, you, you, you know what they say about leaders who say not one inch of our soil will fall to the invader? Yeah. Ex-leaders. Uh, Stalin didn't come out of his drunk until uh, uh, until <laughs> other people were already organising the war effort and calling for him to him for leadership. God alone knows why. He didn't know why. He was assuming they were coming to shoot him. But yeah. but in terms of um, can, can the Russians organise a reasonably effective war? I think we have to say well that they did. So they can. That, yeah, that's the Russians in an emergency. Um, I'm I'm thinking about about the German communists. Well, at that, point, at that point, they lose the Prussian military tradition because most of the here is going to say, these horrible communists, we want nothing to do with them. Yeah. If they ever actually came to power, they would, actually you would get the, what you would get is the Spanish Civil War a generation early. Mm, yeah, quite possibly. In the middle of Europe. That's not going to be much fun. All right. Agreed that any way we take this, the 1920s and 30s turn out to be not much fun. I think there there is actually an oh, interesting good, possibility. All right, is there a good one out of it? If you can assassinate Hitler later. Why later? Well, in the early days of the Second World War historical, it was seriously considered as, as a special operation by, by British forces. Uh, they didn't do it because of practical difficulties. Okay. And at that point, yeah, okay, you probably give them even back the Alsace, um, but you can probably have a larger Germany, but a vaguely sensible Germany. Also, so the thinking went. If you have Hitler out of power, um, I'm thinking after the invasion of France, in basically, you'd never get him out of Poland. They, probably not. No, and um, so you're conceding. You would be conceding Alsace and up to the surrender line in Poland, and yeah, and a generation later they'll do it again if they haven't already. Yeah, um, but that's that. That's one consideration. I, I, on balance, I think probably it's not worth doing. Certainly, uh, late in the war, uh, it was decided. Well, yes, we pr- we might actually be able to get someone in to to kill Hitler in forty four, say. Yeah, but at that point, okay, somebody is going to replace him. If he is a leader who wants to make compromise, the other senior Nazis will kill him. Hmm. And if he is a senior who doesn't want to make compromise, he, he's almost certainly going to be more competent than Hitler. Yeah. And fight the war better. So let's just leave him in. No, by, it, was, it was probable that Hitler were, was a, a, a hidden war advantage for the Allies all the way through. It just became obvious by the end. 
Possibly not as much as that submarine engineer who insisted on, on his, um, what was it, so, some odd combustion system and, and delayed the, the development of the electroboats by about three years. Mm. I, 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 but, I'm, but, I'm, yeah. it, once they've launched the war, then, then there isn't a good ending, as the, I, that I can see. There are, there are endings that are less immediately well, I, I, bloody. Either but, that or severely beef up the French, which basically involves have, run, running a, a um, time-traveller-based coup in France to, to give them a modernised army off which the Germans can bounce. The Germans were not expecting to advance as fast as they did. They, they were the first mechanised army in the modern sense. Where, where, Even, where yeah, was they, their planned stop line if they didn't... Well, they didn't have a planned stop line. They were just going to go as, as far as they could and then, then see what happened, basically. And as far as they could, turned out to be Calais. Yeah, I don't think Brexit is going to run as well as smoothly as that. If you give them some stiffer resistance... Hmm. And... France is really a sideshow as far as the Germans are concerned anyway. What they mostly want to do is, is go into Russia, but now they've got them a lot of Ribbentrop Pact and they have to make a show of attacking the other way. Yeah, well, the fact that... No, no, eliminating a Western Front is a necessary preparatory for an Eastern, Eastern Front. Yeah, that be, but it, it's a sideshow, it's not the primary objective. No, they, no. they want to make sure France isn't going to attack them. And that the easiest way to to do this is to take them over. I don't know enough about French, about French early twentieth century history to be able to say here's the point at which you you should intervene. France after fourteen eighteen is in a worse shell shock state than Britain is. Yeah, and I don't know if there's this time travel stuff is is better for interventions that involve. Uh, uh, sniper rifles, or if you can hide uh, large amounts of booze. Well, one amount of, one, I, one I, point I have an intervention okay. that's a, a little bit more extreme, and, it, and it's not well tested. Okay. Now, you remember Kaiser Wilhelm II? Yes. Uh, he and you remember Kaiser Wilhelm I? I remember Kaiser Wilhelm I. Now, in between, in between the two of them, it was Kaiser Wilhelm II who... In between the two of them, was Kaiser, there is Kaiser Friedrich III. Is he, he's, the, he's, he's Wilhelm II's dad, and he's the, uh, he's the, he's the one who paid, paid attention to his British relatives. Uh, married one of the daughters of Queen Victoria. Yeah. Uh, unlike Wilhelm I or II, was a great liberaliser, to the point where Bismarck was scared of him and did his best to keep him out of power as much as was possible for the crown prince. Why haven't we heard about him? Because he died of throat cancer less than a year after coming to the throne. Why did he die of throat cancer less than a year after coming? Because he trusted his English doctor, who, who was an eminent throat specialist, who said, mm. that's not throat cancer, don't be silly, Take, taking out his larynx won't help at all. Oh, all right, it is throat cancer, never mind. Is that, What are his odds of surviving the, uh, the, the surgery... Uh, we're, we're... Not to be fair, not great. Catching it a few years earlier mm. is eminently possible. Okay, assuming we and can at that point his... you, you have a Friedrich the Third who who is very explicitly a liberaliser. If we could do this, then... he obviously has to get rid of Bismarck fairly quickly after he comes to the throne, mm. which is unfortunate. But he's going to have, he's going to have to do it, or he's just going oh, to have somebody his, in his own camp. His, his son to... dropped the pilot. Um... Pretty, pretty swiftly as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, well, as soon as he came to his majority, but at that point, you have a guy, and uh, the the key difference, or a key difference at least, apart from the lack of disability, which is one of Wilhelm's problems. Yeah, um, Friedrich has been on the front lines, and he has seen how horrible mechanized war is in the Franco-Prussian War. Yeah, Wilhelm has not. Wilhelm well, has military heroes and thinks war is glorious. Friedrich thinks war is a horrible mess, and let's try not to have it. You're absolutely right. And if he could... It's the relationship with Austria-Hungary that brings about the uh, the, the the Central Powers Alliance, and then the... I'm not, I am not sure the outer alliances are, strictly speaking, in reaction to that, but it didn't help. There may well be alliances, but... As I say, he's married to the daughter of Queen Victoria. Hmm. Um, a daughter. Uh, she had numbers, yes. Wh- whatever the alliances say, 
he is not going to allow um, a war that encompasses all of Europe. That is the thing he absolutely does not want to happen. Hmm. I, if, if, if we, if we get really lucky, yeah. he liberalises enough that you don't get the um, communist tendencies in Eastern Europe. Hmm. Because he, he, this, this is a bit of a long shot, but historically he was distinctly interested in making life better for the workers in a way that hardly anybody else was in Germany at that time. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe he wouldn't have managed it. Well, be, yeah. Be fair. The the, the under Bismarck, the, the paternalistic, uh, militaristic state was actually doing one of the best jobs. From yeah, but the point it, but of it's view both. Of, That's the thing. We, yeah. we 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 want you healthy so you can go and die for the Kaiser. Yeah, or rather, we want you healthy. Yeah, we want you healthy so you can work hard in a factory. <laughs> it's slightly better most days <laughs> when the health and safety executive hasn't been cut to the bone. The all right. So if if you, if you, I think you have a significant chance of World War One not happening then, and if if World War One doesn't happen, you don't get World War Two because World War Two comes directly from World War One. Yeah, I'm not sure you can avoid. You, you may well have wars. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying you're going to end war in Europe, but um, you might restrict it to one front rather than the other. The Russians are going to stick their their oar in in the Balkans. Yeah, and there's going to be. What what Bismarck is supposed to have called some bit of nonsense in the Balkans, causing trouble. You can't tell what it is because the Balkans is a kit bag full of small explosive uh, nation states, <laughs> just waiting for somebody to jostle it and, and cause a chain reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but you might be able to contain it to to one front uh, and and prevent the uh, the the Western Front from from emerging. It's a sort of mission well, that... Well, I, I think what you can do is, is phrase the wars in terms of this is a war for territory rather than this is a war for national survival. Mm. How the hell did it become national survival? That's a st- that's a, Because it starts out... Well, it starts out with Austria, and Austria is always a problem. I don't know what you do to fix Austria. Yeah. I don't know if anybody knows... Fix the Ottomans, maybe? Well... It's all too complicated, but yeah, all right. I hate. I I, I personally prefer these sort of um, these sort of time altering mission, which involves guns and or large amounts of alcohol. Well, we can feed a large amount of alcohol to the English doctor so that he doesn't show up. Oh, we could shoot him. We could. <laughs> um, but actually, what you need is to introduce a much much better doctor, and I'm fairly sure we don't yet have a. Uh, a one-shot cure for uh, for for throat cancer, yeah. Though presumably by the time we have a, the time machine reliable, we might be able to go somewhere that does. Well, what, what you do have is is the leisure of diagnosis. You can go back about ten years earlier and say that lump in your throat, Your Majesty, you should probably get something done about that. And at that point, it can be quite safely. Yeah, hopefully. Even then, cancers are, yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right, it's a better plan than my plan, I will admit. Let's try it the next time they are, they offer us the chance. On to the next thing. if you have been paying attention, that, uh, was it last month or the month before, we talked about my wind-up for my Dawn of Magic campaign, which, much against my inclination, um, went for a peaceful, magical utopia emerging from the bloody, horrible battles of the 17th and 18th century um, to create um, what something looked remarkably like... uh, Ian M. Banks's culture, but only powered by uh, mystical uh, stuff and the and a proof of the existence of God and his love for all mankind. This struck me as a bad idea, perhaps because I wanted something to emerge from the campaign, which might actually be interesting to role-play in. And I have a basic idea that, much like Ian M. Banks's The Culture, a peaceful, magical utopia would be dreadfully bloody dull for the average role player. Now, you will throw at me all the things that special circumstances gets to do 
in the culture novels, which is basically break the rules, bugger about people of lower tech levels. But it's out on the fringes. It's not in mainstream culture. Yeah. And the mainstream of the culture where people live a long time, have enormous amounts of sex, and have inbuilt drug dispensers in their glands, um, is, you know, very, very nice and, and full of joy and therefore utterly unsuited to any sort of story ever emerging, as far as I can tell. And I'm, this is why I'm against peaceful utopias. I think where this comes from is... Excuse how, me, I want to rephrase okay. that sentence. In games. If anybody's <laughs> offering me a long-term, a peaceful utopia where I will live for a long time, have plenty of sex, I won't even require the drug dispensers in my glands. All right, go back to rugby. Well, I think it depends on how, how you define utopia. How absolute is it? Uh... If everybody is happy all the time, yeah. um, then essentially there is no threat, there is no adventure. Um, fun- fundamentally, as far as I'm concerned, adventures come out of conflict. Yes, and Conflict true. comes from scarcity of resources. Yeah. Uh, now, you can go quite a long way down the um, resource tree before you have to um, say nothing is scarce. But because, for example, uh, let us say all, all your material wants are fulfilled. Mm. Uh, what you, what you probably do all day, if, uh, once you get bored with the, um, constant sex and 17 course banquets, um, uh, <sighs> it, it's, probably trying to produce something specific to you. Mm. And so maybe, maybe, um, somebody else tries to steal credit or somebody else's thing is better than your thing or more popular than your thing or, uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, fact that you're not going to get rich off it does not mean it can't be a source of conflict. Yeah, but a role-playing game about bickering amongst artistic cliques of well-fed uh, and frequently laid people. That's pretty much the Shabel Hiri Roach, isn't it, apart from the frequently laid? <laughs> I've actually read that one. I must, go, I must go and drag it out of my files somewhere. All right, but is there, is there fun to be ha- had here? I would run a mile from that sort of people in real life. <laughs> I think I have. And, uh, and people who, who want to tell me about, about how vital their approach to, uh, I, I don't know, uh, bonsai, um, uh, rearing is, or, 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 or the, 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 the precise nature of symbolist, the symbolist poetry movement that they've started. I could, I could not, I could, I, I mean, it would be, it would be an excuse for violence. That is one part of the, the, the role playing, um, spectrum that it would get but it, it would not be a fun place to hang out even with bonsai stars <sighs> bonsai stars only if they can blow up you know if you can if things can <laughs> go wrong um then then maybe there, there's something to it but well think things can go wrong i, I think um damages the definition of it as a utopia i i think it, it's it's a very absolute sort of term hmm. and you can have a very good society which still has a few things wrong in it Oh, look at our own. I, I sometimes look back at, at the past and say I am living, I, even at my own past, and say I am living in, uh, comfortably in a world where I can reach all the great works of human literature, except those most recently published, for free at the touch of a, of, 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 a, of, a, of a mouse button. And I'm still not reasonably content. It's it, What am I waiting for? I sometimes think, all right, the large amounts of sex and the drugs, but... I think one thing one can do here um, is if the utopia is not universal, Mm. then A, stuff around the edges, as mentioned, but also uh, the complacency of the utopians is likely to be significant. Yeah. So you can have a threat to that and only only a small number of people to which the player characters actually take this seriously enough to do anything about it. Well, the stagnancy of the utopia is something is something like Tanith Lee's drinking sapphire wine, and uh, and something like Michael Moorcock's stories of the end of time, which are very enjoyable. But I I don't know if they would be fun to role play. The end of time one, particularly given its time travel abilities to go back and mess with people who are less able than themselves. Another one along those lines is uh, Cage Baker's company stories. Yeah. Uh, where it, it is clear that there there are essentially superpowered immortals in the future who, who send, uh, well, for, for various technical reasons, they can't actually send people back in time. 
but what they can do is recruit people from, um, from the deep past and bring them forward to the historical periods they wanted in and send information back in time. Oh, that sounds complicated and, it, and interesting, but you are not playing the immortals. No, uh, th at that point, it, it's not so much an adventure in the utopia, but it's an adventure caused by and directly affecting the utopia. The thing that, uh, yeah, the thing that Michael Moorcox reminds me of in role playing is uh, is Nobilis, which is a big book about basically being some aspect of a god or some aspect of the divine or something like that, and having arguments with other other people and or things which are also in charge of aspects of the universe. And I, I have read accounts of people playing this, and many of the words made sense. Yeah, but not 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 necessarily the sentences in which they were used. And I found that it is so abstracted, so the issues that it's concerned with are so not those of a person who has to pull their shoes on in the morning, much less anybody who ever has to excrete anything. Um, that the, uh, as opposed to gently glow with a golden light. <laughs> Victorian ladies could manage that. Um, that the, the, I, it's not something I could, I could grasp hold of. I fear that the utopia is going to be similarly detached, even if they do excrete. Um, well, it, it's always going to be a, a bit of a hand wave, because if we knew how to build a utopia, we could. Yeah. It's not simply, you know, some, somebody in 1300 might well say, well, a utopia is where everybody has enough to eat all the time. Yeah. But, clear, but that, is, that is clearly not sufficient. Yeah. Even, even in the parts of the world where we are, people are discontented. Well, where we do have enough to eat most of the time. People are discontented. Mm -hmm. uh, it, but, but can you imagine explaining to somebody from the 13th century net neutrality? Quite. Uh, he probably couldn't explain the, the 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 issues that made somebody a heretic to you either. But it's very it's very difficult for me to grasp hold of the the whole ideal universe sort of a thing. I I think the I, I, best way to use utopias in play is probably they're over there. They they are they are generating adventures. The the the, the mysterious beings who live there yeah. are are giving you missions. And maybe one day, if you're really good, you'll get to join them. Uh, yeah, much like your uh, your people in the Cage Baker books or uh, Paul Anderson's bosses of the Time Patrol. Yeah, they are they are over over there, and they send us and they send us messages. Another way, of course, a classic way is the Broken Utopia, the place where they say everything's fine, but it isn't. But that's cheating. It's something I ought to bring up in this segment, but it, it's really cheating if you're trying to grasp hold of the implications of a utopia. Oh, yes, everything's great here. Hang on a minute. I just have to go and do my shift at the baby furnaces. Mm. Um, yeah. As going, going back to your, your uh, world, well, first of all, is this the entire world? Um, the, the, the Man, well, given that they figured out how to give anybody at least majoring naught in, GURP, in GURP's terms and are working on processes to give people higher levels of access to magic, it turns out that you have to fiddle with the structure of fate and destiny in order to do that, and that's often not a really good idea. Um, yeah, pretty much everybody has a share in the in the new technology, and... In what region? This is Europe, isn't it? This is Europe. There, well, it starts out in Europe, but the... But it, but the return of magic affects all the world. One of the so you, you, first of the thirty six to... was uh, North American shaman, right? And uh, and there are gypsies and. But you're going to be going into Turkey or Siberia or Africa, and saying, "Hi, we're here to civilize you." And if you can't get an adventure out of that, well, quite. On the other hand, the people who say we're here to civilize you get kicked in the teeth. People who say we're here to cure your diseases. And make sure that your pr crops uh, come in healthy every year. Might get uh, and, and to be honest, yeah. So, so, so your viewpoint character here is somebody who who profits from the old order in some way. True, 
I, in the point in the time of change, yes, there is going to be when you're when you're spreading the good words and you're meeting people, and there would be people who uh, hate the new technology, whether it's magic based or it's um, it's uh, so, something more plausible. Then, uh, there, then there, at that point, there are adventures. But at the stable point, once okay, some, some, somewhat later, you, yeah. you, you've you've got a world magical, yeah. Well, now they they assume their god is the universal god. Yeah, is it? I wanted. This is why my the introduction of the proof of God's love for His creation which was actually one of the things that came up in the microscope session. And you're not allowed, you're not allowed to block other people's suggestions in microscope. <laughs> this is why I didn't want it to happen, because I don't know. The myth of oh, whatever was the lover who unwisely asked uh, Apollo to show her his true face, that strikes me as a, a true thing, at least for storytelling purposes. You don't want the gods to go around showing you the truth about things because it will destroy you. And but pe but but I always want there some to be some ambiguity in the certainty. And I don't know what a I wouldn't be an agnostic if I knew what a proof of God's existence or non-existence looked like. Here's here's a tagline for an alien invasion. In, in in this setting, yeah, God must love the beetle. He made so many of them. That's true. And <laughs> here they come in their spaceships, and they want to collect your dung. Well, probably on angel wings or something. Oh well, they? yes. Yeah, the 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 problem when people of that there there is also a devil in the setting, and there are other worlds which are they believe created by uh, the god they worship. Um, but um, which are slightly different and odd. Even if they are, that doesn't... Uh, presumably God loves the denizens of those worlds too. Yeah, quite. And they are very peculiar and odd. And doubtless God made them for some purpose, like Texas. Um, well, that's Mark Twain, it's not me. Our listeners from te Texas can take that to Mark Twain, uh, who said that uh, uh, Texas is like hell... Doubtless God made it for some purpose. And the position of of the devil is something that would probably have to be reconciled, but only by the end of the universe, I think. Yes, but presum presumably he's still there in the medieval role as tempter until yeah, then. until then. Um, so people are still being tempted. Yeah, and God is still permitting this, and this is... This so is still, so that, that, that in itself is enough conflict to generate adventures, even at you know, small human-scale adventures. Yeah. Certainty about the big issues is a terrible, uh, is a terrible story killer. <laughs> Uncertainty helps keep things going. And which is my point about the, the whole utopia thing. It is an introduction of certainty where there doesn't need to be any. It's difficult to have a story that comes after they all lived happily ever after. Yeah, well, uh, that's what um, into the Woods is all about. Mm. And it depends when you end the story, when you say they had lived happily ever, ever after. And I think, as I've said before, I like the ending that is used in the A Thousand and One Nights. And so they lived until death, um, the shatter of happiness, came for them. <laughs> and on that note... It is the season of giving, where we are recording at this moment in time, just before Christmas. And in that spirit, I wanted to raise an issue which um, may be caused by the fact that I, in Pendragon terms, because that's what I'm running at the moment, am notably uh, generous and reckless. <laughs> um, because I come to the point where, in an adventure... There is loot to be had, logically speaking. There is uh, something for the players to get out of having assaulted a place. And given my improvisational nature of my of my GMing, I have to pull this out of my backside at a moment's notice. 
And I like to give them not just money, not just standard loot, but something special. And this almost always uh, tends to come back and bite me in the backside at a later stage. Um, I, I put this to my players after my Pendragon game last night, and they said, well, yeah, if you just gave us a magic bucket which always had one fish in it, we'd ruin the local uh, local fishery industry. <laughs> and I think I'm trying to come up with a list of things that I should and should not think about before I give them anything off the top of my head. I... Um, it, this doesn't matter if the thing that they 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 get is the end of the campaign thing. It's the the happy ever after, the reconciling, and but most of the things you get out of that, like marriage or lands or um, the magic sword, which will kill the uh, the un- unkillable uh, villain, those are those are end end of the end of the story, and they also have complications written all over them if I want to do series two. Yeah, the, the best treasure is the treasure that generates more adventures. Yeah, but... As, the, well, as well as being nice to have. Well, the best treasure is... All right, that's a, that's a, that's a, a good point. But uh, the treasure that I come up on with the fly should not frustrate future adventures. It should not be a, a, a solution or even an omni-solution of things. And I have a tendency to be too generous... So, what sort of things should I be giving them? This is much easier in Dungeons and Dragons. How, how big a sword have you got? Plus three. Well, here's a plus four sword. Yeah, God, those swords are dull. Yes. A sword, a sword there that, that is, uh, uh, that is, uh, is just a, an additive to your thing. I gave, uh, I gave one of the players in my Pendragon's uh, game a set of armor off a fairy knight, which is better than anything their current uh, knowledge can provide, but it's not a game. It's not a game killer. Eventually, mm. the, the human technology will advance in the game that uh, they can get something equally as good or even better. But for now, one of yeah. the knights has got a nice suit, a suit of armor. But uh, what I want to be able to give is something like uh, a sword that will cut ghosts. Now, there, there's a there's a useful one one off thing that you could have found lying around any wizard's palace. Yeah, you're probably not going to have a lot of ghost-focused adventures, but for those occasions when you do... Yeah, but... The the question is whether your ghost-focused adventure is going to rely on the, the PCs finding out what, what the ghost is unhappy about and fixing it, as opposed to saying slash slash. Yeah, quite. The uh, or, Well, discovering which of the ghosts you have to go slash slash at and which of the ghosts you have to uh, later rest is the complicated thing. I I don't want to be too stingy and I, but I don't want to shoot myself in the foot but if I get creative it's almost always going to shoot me in the foot what, do you have any rules Roger or do you always plan things in advance I don't think I actually do a lot in the way of treasure to be honest I, th- I think partly this is because I don't tend to run fantasy games at the moment I, I was thinking of that, yeah. about this in science fiction terms and there are definitely rewards that one can give people in, in a science fiction or a modern game such as? Well, I st- started off thinking better tech is not a good example because either you can analyse and duplicate it yeah, or it's just another sort of magic item. Well, yes, uh, but, uh, but if, it's a, if it's a prompt for further stories, if it's going to, to make the, the massive change in the universe which is going to cause m- more stories, then, that, then that's good. Yeah, it, it's not particularly science fictional. Um, uh, as I say, so some, something that is, that is valuable in itself, but also a clue to the next campaign, yeah, is is great. I'm just thinking in, in the games I run, it's very often uh, secret knowledge of some sort. Um, now, now we now we are finding out a bit more about what this faction is up to. Yeah, I'm running into problems with that in uh, Knights Black Agents due to, uh well, well, due to it's all about information. It's all about finding out what's going on and uh, my players are going well let's not get involved with that then which is not the response that I want from Knights Black Agents the, yeah I, I, Dr Bob has had similar problems as you, as you heard um, another problem I think well another way, way of doing this is uh, contacts yeah um, de- depending on the setting the, the master armourer is now willing to work for you or 
um, that that spy master has, has, has said you, you you've been quite helpful. Here are some other ways you can get into trouble, but um, but but as a reward, here is some information as well. Yeah, I have permitted. One of the things in the Night Black Agents is I permitted um, them to develop a counter to one particular sort of undead, not the major vampires who are, you know, still a pain in the backside, but they have an electronic device which they can fudge together and if they use it just right, it will disrupt one of the major sorts of nasties, which I'm not going to specify because it, it's it's a plot line. And I'm not sure I was right to do that because, in effect, I've killed off that line of creatures entirely as long as they keep one in their pockets. Yeah, though this does remind me slightly of, of those uh, arguments I, I oh, please for help I saw in the in the late 80s where people would say, my party is getting too powerful. They, they can go through any combat encounter I throw at them. Well, how can I save the game? The answer is don't give them combat encounters. Don't give them problems that are solved by fight, by fighting. Yeah. Um, and this this is, I think, what pushed me into investigative games. It's it's not so much can you kill it, it's can you pick the right thing to kill. Yeah. Or arrest, or whatever. I, I, the kill is al- almost always uh, good. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my problem is that I get a neat idea um, of something that I can give them, and... It will always tend to bat. I, I never ever think it all the way through. What I should be doing is having a, a list of pre-generated neat stuff that is implied by the universe. And I, sh- I, I was finding my way that uh, with that with the uh, dawn of magic came before it imploded. I at one stage researched what I could find out about supposed magical properties of uh, types of wood and then ignoring what it said in Ars Magica because they they just complicated matters too much try to knit knit it into my particular version of the uh, of the um, GURPS magic uh, system so that every each 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 one of them had a plus a plus one plus for casting all spells of a, using a particular word. So um, all spells cut using spirit um, have a plus one with this mm-hmm. type of word. I can't remember. Or then on top of that, all spells using uh, sense spirit or harm spirit, it gets a, it gets a bonus mm-hmm. for. And then at the third level, it gets a higher bonus for all spells... And it didn't have to have anything to do with the first two, which was the neat part. But all spells to discover how a particular person died, for instance, mm-hmm. would work perfectly well. And I was, that is the only occasion when I've done massive figuring out of things beforehand. They had, by the time the campaign collapsed, discovered precisely one of the bonuses, which was, <laughs> um, all spells to discover the effects of magic that isn't like ours. Was a really, and I, I, a really useful thing, and the the most useful thing that they could find, I think. But each one of them was working towards getting a particular kind of wand or, or staff that would be useful to their particular magical specialization. Yeah. I'm, I'm involved worked. in a couple of games uh, that use the decanic magic system from uh, GURPS Thaumatology, yeah. originally GURPS Cabal, and that that one could do something, but it. it doesn't work as a pre-built thing because, as you say, they have to be discovering it. So they can't just look it up in the book. No. Well, well the, the, I was lucky in as much as it was the the, the disco- new discovery of, of, of old magic. Um, and there was very little left. The, the Vatican had destroyed most of the remnants of the previous Age of Magic um, under instructions from God, uh, as a matter of fact. But it's it's... <laughs> Uh, it 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 made, meant that the players could go around saying, "Well, where can we find a copy of 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 the of the of the Greater Key of Solomon?" Then, yes, the original version. That and that that then is a plot treasure. Yeah, uh, it, it advances the plot, but it also gives them stuff because they can they can learn things from it and and get tougher. In effect, the existence of a previously generated list of long list of quote magical items. 
um, is one of the things that I envied Numenera for. Unfortunately, I can't get my head around the setting. Uh, I think I've said this before. But it, the system's uh, a bit strange, too. Oh, well, I, 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 it's I a bit D&D. Pardon? It's a bit D&D, really. Well, it's very D&D, but I wouldn't have objected to that if I could have grasped hold of what the world was like and used it as a means for exploring it. Mm. I don't... Uh, I don't mind the fact that there are only three, quote, classes, and one of them is a compromise between the other two. It sort of, maybe... I think that was what was, what was going on. I'm not entirely sure. But the the fact was that I couldn't grab hold of the world. It didn't have any... It was deliberately designed to not make any sense. But there was all this nice kit mm. that you could pick up and which you could use once or twice in some very odd circumstances. And that was a, was a thing I envied and I, I think I could, wish I could get a system for generating um, new things on the fly. That's what yeah, I want a, a magic item that, t- that has a history. Yeah. And so, so somebody somebody picks up a famous sword of the legend. It's the sword that famous hero X used to slay monster Y. It's I think what the, I, the one that was used at the Battle of Zed. Actually, I think what I want is for them to pick up, up a thing and me to be able to say that's humming with magic. That is, oh, that's going to take some research. That is, that is going to. I, what I want is is an approach that allows me some time <laughs> to actually generate what the doodah is that they've just picked up and make it appropriate. One thing that might be worth looking um, at on RPG Net forums. Yeah, they often have threads where people say, "Give me a hundred and one, whatever's a hundred and one social customs, a hundred and one uh, exhibits in an interdimensional museum." Think, think things to meet in a Star Trek campaign, oh, and so on. But but there may there may well be uh, somewhere so, down I'm, there I'm, ma- magic items with weird backstories. If you could do a lot worse than a plunge, if you if you had access to a computer at the moment, you're trying to be inspired, then plunge into the depths of Warehouse Twenty Three, um, which is I think still a site that uh, Steve Jackson. Allows to exist the the bit the the list of strange stuff in the. I think uh, the basement is still there. Yeah. I think. Yeah, um, and it's a sort of thing that you could plunge into. Really, I ought to run another Warehouse Twenty Three adventure. Just there, there are there are other sites with with similar uh, strangenesses. I'll put some in the show notes. Yeah, please do. Um. I think that I, I am resolving that what I need to do is to find a means of coming up with something that sounds good on the surface and they have to investigate further. What I, what I try to do in this situation is, is tie it very firmly into this campaign. It's something that might be meaningless in a different game. But, yeah. in, th- but in this one, it's part of the ongoing... Yeah, one of the things the I is. liked about early, one of the early Glorantham things that I liked was a uh, was a treasure um, supplement. Most of it was pointless tables of a D and D type for generating random amounts of of loot you might find on uh, monsters. But some of it was uh, stuff about that was specific to the setting, uh, such as uh, uh, tubs of rhino fat, which you could don't laugh at the rhino fat. The rhino tri- tribesman. I have a, it's a secret craft, crafted uh, magical item of the rhino tribe which you smear on you to give you extra armor temporarily and very smellily underneath your um, underneath your uh, oh and the, it's and, better than gorp in a bottle what gorp in a bottle gorp in a bottle do not drink the gorp in a bottle mm-hmm. and do not uh, whatever you do have the perpetual uh, perpetual meals because they're they're made out of re- regenerated, uh, um, what, they call, what they call, walktopus uh, tentacles. Mm. And you swallow one, and if it gets out of balance and your stomach doesn't dissolve it, and anyway, it taints you with chaos. Don't go with a perpetual meal. It's very bad. That may have been a spoiler. Never mind. But that sort of thing is, if you could come up with something that fits the universe and <coughs> is useful but not overwhelmingly so, and that's the thing I want to aim for. I agree that that's a great uh, goal. How how to achieve this in one easy lesson? I don't think we can manage today. 
but yeah. but I, th- I think your principle of uh, try, try to make this towards the end of a session is probably a good one. Yeah. All right. So I, yes, uh, the things you want, to, the tricks for a, of a for a GM, putting it off uh, till the next time, but always remember to take a note that the next time they're going to want to know about it. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. That's my present for you this Christmas. That was Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Q. And, and me, Roger Bell West. And if you have your own ideas of uh, useful magical items to find at the bottom of Santa's bag, of alterations you'd like us to make in, in history, no task too trivial or too large, or other things that we have discussed, then please, you can contact us either via the website or... Email to podcast at tekele.ly And we'll be with you again in the new year.